This is the She Runs the Show podcast with Cassandra Bibas, episode number 13 with Mark Simple. Welcome to episode number 13 of the She Runs the Show podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking to Mark Semple about successful relationships. You know, when you're a woman entrepreneur and you are building your business, there are a lot of things that you sacrifice in the process. You sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your sleep, you sacrifice, you know, time with family. And one of the things that I see a lot and that I've experienced myself is that sometimes when you are working on building something like a business, the relationships in your life get sacrificed. The most important ones, namely the ones that you have with your family, your friends, your partners. And so in today's episode, I interviewed Mark Semple of Successful Together Coaching. He's a coach. He likes to talk about how women can be empowered and successful while also doing it together with their partners. And so we talk a lot about, you know, what is the deal with desiring a partner, but not requiring them? And how do you make the desire important enough without making the other person feel like they aren't necessary? We also talk about, you know, what is this sort of alpha female beta male relationship thing and how does that work exactly and how do you show up fully for a relationship when you are doing something like building a business or relaunching a career how do you focus on the together piece of the equation when you've got so many priorities we talk about that and so much more in this episode let's get to it Cassandra Bibas here. I'm so excited to talk to today's guest. Mark and I go way back. So Mark Semple is a coach and he's the founder of Successful Together Coaching. And I think we first connected on Twitter, uh, must have been close to 2007, 2008. But what he speaks of about your unfolding journey and about evolving and stepping into your greatness, it's powerful powerful. And so I'm glad to bring him on the line today and to let you hear just what he talks about in terms of how do we allow our unfolding journey to come about and how do we deal with fears, fears about relationships and about intimacy and about just finding our way through what can be at moments dark, dark. So I definitely, um, I'm so excited to talk to Mark. Mark, thank you for, for joining. She runs the show. Cassandra, I am completely honored to be here. I've been a huge fan of yours since we connected back in 2008, and I'm excited to help make a difference with this episode. Absolutely. It feels like a long time ago. That's when Twitter was, like, intimate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was different. So, Mark, Let's talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. You know, tell everybody kind of what led you to become a coach and, and what led you specifically to create Successful Together Coaching? Well, um, like Jimmy Buffett says, uh, there's a woman to blame. And <laughs> it was actually my wife at the time. Actually, I'm deeply grateful to her for this. Uh, I was happily in the corporate world, minding my own business, showing up at my IT job and working away, didn't know anything about the inspirational coaching, motivation, entrepreneur path. And I got married in 2001. And shortly after that, my wife decided to get involved with a direct sales company. I like spending time with her, so I jumped in with her to assist her and support her in any way that I could. As I started doing that, I started getting exposed to the trainers, the coaches, the inspirational books. And also, I met many women in direct selling who said they wish they had what my wife did, which was a partner that was at least interested in what they did. Mm -hmm. So that kind of inspired me to explore that. You know, why wouldn't a man want to be involved with what his wife's doing? And 
as I progressed with that message, I started to get fired up about the opportunities of being an entrepreneur. And then when I discovered the coaching world, it was a slam dunk. I knew that I needed to get involved, and that was a way for me to carry the message and make a difference. Absolutely. And so when you would come across women in direct selling who would say, I so wish that my partner was involved, that they were at least interested, where would you take that conversation next? Well, the first thing I would just remind them is that First off, it's about you. It's your business, your journey, your choice. And you're involved in selling lingerie or makeup. And you really can't expect a man to get fired up about the particular product. Okay. <laughs> we don't use them. We don't know anything about them. So don't keep telling him about the latest eyeliner or the difference with the you know, wired or non-wired bras. <laughs> yeah. Men yeah. aren't going to get that. Just keep talking to him about the potentials and the opportunities and the difference it can make. And keep your focus on something that's going to fit a man's short attention span. But pay attention also to what he is doing. A lot of women get really hung up on what the guy is not doing. But then when you inventory it with them, it's like, well, the guy goes to work full time. He happily pays the bills. He mows. He gets the car serviced. He takes care of the kids while she's on the phone. And basically, he does give her a lot of space to be able to do what's important to her. So then they get upset with him for not being all over the business. It's a little bit out of balance. Absolutely. But don't you find, I mean, having been a, a women breadwinners coach, um, I tend to find that, and I can speak as a woman myself, there's this dichotomy of wanting to be a woman who achieves and really has sort of a, you know, a very big focus on business and on creating a legacy with your purpose in life. But also, um, sometimes resentment comes in. Sometimes a sense of, you know, is my spouse, you know, if they were more ambitious, why aren't they more like me? But I always find that there's got to be a yin and a yang to things. Have you found that in, in, coaching people through the idea of being successful together that, you know, two alphas are really interesting to say the least in a relationship. I mean, I find that there's got to be some sort of harmony between those two people who pair together. What do you think? Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And first off, I do have to say that no woman actually needs a man in order to be successful. So she's not dependent upon him. But when you do have a life partner, it makes the journey sweeter and more fulfilling when you can share it. Exactly. We got to be aware that both of us have different visions of what success means. So as a woman, your concept of success in your business might be a polar opposite from my definition of success. So being able to embrace that is a great starting point to be able to find out what you do have in common. And what do you do when over the course of a relationship, the common ground shifts and changes? You gotta keep what's important at the forefront. Mm -hmm. One of the great gifts that you gave me was you turned me on to Marianne Williamson. And in the book that she wrote, uh, The Age of Miracles, and it actually had a section in there that talks about the woman entrepreneur. And she gets her office in the, the cabin at the end of the property. It's a beautiful place. It's secluded. It's separate. And he comes down and he joins her. At the end of the day, they walk back and they start talking about business outside of that office and then up the path and then into the living room and into the kitchen and then into the bedroom. And next thing you know, you have a businesswoman in bed with you instead of an erotic goddess and your lover. Exactly. So you got to have some boundaries and keep what is important at the forefront. And for me, that's my relationship. When I'm with my lover, I want to be in uh, the romance and the intimacy and the passion. You know, we'll talk about the budget the third Sunday at 4 p.m. You know, five minutes, we'll get it out of the way, and then we'll go make love. <laughs> exactly. And yet a lot of women entrepreneurs feel as if the intimacy part is yet another thing on their to-do list. What do you think about that? <laughs> They're probably doing it wrong. And this is why. No, when intimacy feels like a chore, there's definitely a little bit of passion and romance lacking. And as you know from coaching women breadwinners, 
when you are responsible for so much, you can barely have time for yourself, let alone to share with your partner. So an intimacy doesn't have to be the physical. You know, it can be a card, it can be flowers, it can be you know, a look or just some gesture. And if you keep those things going as and when you can, and you do them because you want to, not out of obligation or because you want a response, that will help keep that fire burning. Yeah, I think you just hit on something so powerful. It is easy when you are somebody who is very driven, very focused, to make some of the most important parts of your life a part of your to-do list. And to me, that's a no-no. Because obligation will never create the kind of fulfillment and satisfaction that desire will. It absolutely will. I want somebody that wants to be dancing with me who's not just fitting me in between their business calls so I'll go watch a football game with a smile on my face. I need a little bit more romance than that. And, you know... dynamics are shifting between men and women. I mean, things are very different today than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. What do you think that women need to know about their partners and relationships that maybe is very different than what would have been happening 20 or 30 years ago? 20 or 30 years back, Relationships, I think, were pretty stereotyped. The roles were very delineated, and people happily conformed to the roles and the expectations of those. Uh, I'm not agreeing with them. I'm, you know, I'm not saying that anybody should do this, you know, she should do that, and he should do this. But when you have a partnership and you both agree to certain roles, then that's a completely different story. I think. Fast forward to today, where both people are engaged in high-power, high-stress, successful, big-paying jobs, you're almost competing with each other. And I don't think there is room in a relationship for competition. Yes. My woman's already won me, okay? She doesn't have to compete anymore for me. And if she's thinking that I'm further along the path than she is and she has to somehow change that trend, then our focus is not on the dynamics that matter in a meaningful relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, leave the boss at work. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, there's some things that my girlfriend is better at than I am. I'm okay with that. And there's other things that I'm better at. That's perfect. Yeah, I don't feel intimidated because she's a better cook or you know, she can clean a bathroom in a quarter of the time that I can. Yeah, I'm happy with the job that I do. And if she's not, that's not my stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but part of it, I think, is a real fear of being vulnerable and being open. And, you know, and also a fear of loss, because I think when you're dealing with entrepreneurship, you're always sort of focusing on how can I build? How can I grow? How can I, you know, and so there's always this kind of focus on moving forward. But there are moments in relationships where it's not necessarily about getting to the next rung on the ladder. It's about being still and present with that person in the moment and allowing things to unfold in a way that you cannot control or plan. So when you see women in in entrepreneurship and they are so driven and they really have such focus and dedication and purpose, what fears do you find that come up for them in terms of not only relationships but business? Mm. Well, the number one fear, I think, for anybody is everything folding. I mean, it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy to achieve, to build, to produce. And the business world is fickle. We can have a a full book of business and clients one month, and the next month they're all gone. So we have to keep that pipeline full. We do have to keep going. And when you have a certain amount of resources to back you up, I think people tend to relax a little bit. Some people are still driven. They could have $5 million liquid cash sitting there, but they're still driven to try and be the next uh, Warren Buffett. And they've got to keep going, keep going, keep going. 
So I think the, even though they have plenty, there's still that fear that they don't have enough. So I think our um, relationship with what we do have and any underlying thing goes to why we're so concerned about it all disappearing really need to be evaluated. Is, you know, the world can change in a heartbeat for any one of us. You know, the bank where you have that money invested in can dissolve. It can disappear. That money's gone. If you're in a job, you can, you know, you've been there 25 years. Well, guess what? They just got sold. You're out of it. And it doesn't matter if you're the employee of the month or you put in 16 hour days and neglect your family and your health. So, you know, there are no guarantees. I think we have to find that sweet spot of being comfortable with our journey. I mean, yes, we need to keep ahead of the curve to look and evolve and keep producing, keep that pipeline full. But we do need to balance it out with a fulfilling journey. In the seven habits, Covey talks about the, the golden news and excuse me, the golden goose of the golden eggs, you know, production capability versus production capacity. Mm-hmm. And if you sacrifice one for the other, soon you will end up with neither. Exactly. Exactly. And in your own journey, how have you dealt with the the fear or the idea of scarcity? How have you come to some peaceful place about it? Well, I've been on a more of a spiritual path than anything else for about 24 years now. And faith, for me, is one of the greatest assets in having a space of peace in your life. When you have faith and you have trust that you're doing the right thing in the right way, you can't fail to get to the right place. But the trusting there is the key to having peace around it. And yes, you still need to do what you need to do to put food on the family and food on the table and feed the family. Getting a little tongue-tied here. Um, and we do what we need to do. Yeah, I got back into the corporate world for a little bit because my coaching for a little while wasn't sufficient to sustain my family. I'm perfectly comfortable with telling the world that. I did what was necessary for me to get through and to provide and not let anybody suffer or starve in my family. And and as far as my fears, I mean, I've had a lot of fear most of my life, and my biggest one was that I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't belong, and people are going to see I'm that paper tiger. And one of the things that actually helped me over that was you, Cassandra. <laughs> yeah, when, when we connected in 2008, and you shared your gift of coaching with me, you opened me up to the fact that I had certain fears, and I was trying to you know, keep them suppressed. I seemed pretty comfortable and extrovert on the surface, but I have those things going on on the inside. Yeah. And then you recommended a, an amazing book by, uh, I think it's Dr. Susan Jeffers, Feel yes. the Fear, Do It Anyway. Yes. And um, I read that, I embraced it, and it was absolutely incredible. It really, really did put it in perspective and make a difference. And it wasn't an overnight thing. I need everybody listening to realize, you know, there's not really any quick fixes for this stuff. It takes dedication. It takes practice and commitment and willingness to move forward out of any comfort zones and let go of stuff, to really embrace these concepts, to let go of fear and have peace in your life. Would you agree with that, Cassandra? Absolutely. It, it's not a, a overnight, immediate gratification kind of a thing. And it is a process and it's an ever evolving process. To me, fear is not something that we need to eradicate. Fear is natural, it's normal, and it's here to teach us something. And so if we look at it, and I always say invite your fear over for dinner, if we look at it and we embrace it, typically it transforms into something else and something powerful that we need it. So I I agree with you. I think fear is not something that you go one and done, kind of like forgiveness. You know, what's your take on, I have my own little ideas about forgiveness, but what's your take on forgiveness? Mm. Forgiveness is one of the cornerstones of my journey. I love the phrase, he who cannot forgive burns a bridge across which he himself must pass. And Mm. forgiveness is not about the other people. It's about you. When you forgive somebody, it sets you free from any resentment, anger, or unserving emotions that are going to choke you and cripple your efforts to have a fulfilling life. And why do that to yourself? Absolutely. 
And, you know, the one thing I always say is uh, Louise Alhay has a beautiful affirmation where she says, forgiveness is a gift I give to myself. I forgive and I set myself free. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. The other piece, though, strategically that I always tell people is forgiveness, like getting over fears, like, you know, happiness, peace, all of that. It's not a one and done thing. You don't do a blanket forgiveness of everybody for everything. Shut the book and then it's over. Sometimes the unforgiveness comes back up. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're you're triggered again. And so forgiveness, like life, is an evolution. It's not a, just a one and like, I forgive you, it's over. It's no, you might get triggered by that person again. And mm-hmm. forgiveness and trust are not the same thing. I always tell people that too. Trust is not the same thing as forgiveness. So you forgive, but just because you forgive that person for laundering $5 million from your company doesn't mean you turn them over your b- corporate bank account. I absolutely agree. And you know, the number one person that people need to forgive first? Yeah. That's themselves. And people have such a hard time doing it for themselves, but if you can't do it for you, how can you possibly expect to offer forgiveness to somebody else? Oh, very true. That is, that, you know, and the self forgiveness, you know, when you went through your own journey with forgiving yourself, how did you even begin to do that? What, what did that look like? Um, it wasn't very easy in the beginning. Um, uh, a case in point, my mother was sick around the end of 99. I mean, seriously sick in ICU. And I was over here in the United States and I started making plans to fly over to England to be there to visit with the rest of my family. Well, they told me a few days afterwards that she made a great recovery and she was out of the ICU. She was in her own room and she was on her way to just being back to her normal self. I was relieved, so I canceled the plans, canceled the flight, and I didn't go to England. And then two days afterwards, we lost her. She just took a sudden nosedive and she passed away. Mm. And I had a very, very hard time with that for quite a while, actually. But when I, I I really had to get honest with myself. I I didn't have any unfinished business with my mother, which was very, very key to this process. I had nothing unsaid, no dirty laundry, nothing I wished I'd said or felt remorseful about. I cleared all that out of the way. And... I operated on the information that I had been given. So it wasn't like I intentionally did something devious or you know, said, no, I don't want to go. I was willing. I was ready. I was available. They told me, you know, hey, don't worry about it. We're good. You don't need to come home right now. I operated on that advice. But still, yeah, it was just a very important thing for me. But I had to keep it in context. I mean, I didn't really lose my mother. She, her journey just took a, a different form. She's yes. still with me, so I don't look at it that way. But I can't beat myself up for things that were really out of my control. And I think that's probably the key for me is did I have control over it or not? Did I make a decision for the right reasons? And if I'm on the space of the right, then I don't have anything to feel bad about. And I can forgive myself doing things that were right yes yes and that were right for you in that moment at that time and and it's all divinely ordered anyway yes absolutely and so when you coach clients around some of these things like whether it's their fears or um issues of intimacy and connection in their partnerships or a lack of connection even in their business what do you find is the number one issue that comes up for for women today i think resentment is a really big thing you know they're doing so much and he seemed to be doing so little but then he expects the top shelf from her and women are incredibly dynamic multitaskers they just seem to do so much as an inherent part of their nature and a lot of guys, they're not really lazy. Some are, but you know, they tend to be a little more methodical or they'll batch things up or they'll get to it after the TV show. So it's not that they're not doing the stuff. It's just they're not as dynamic. So 
don't expect people to be on the same frequency you are all of the time. So give people space to be themselves. And if something is truly a problem, then, of course, you do need to discuss it, to arbitrate it, and to quote Stephen Covey again, find that win-win solution. Because I think people typically tend to dig into their side of the battlefield and neither one is going to budge. They want the other one to come over. Now, it's not about compromise. It's about finding a true solution that is mutually beneficial and that honors both of you. Yes. Yes. And and don't you find, you know, one of the things that I, I love that Marianne Williamson said, and I think she said this in A Return to Love, but she basically said that maybe it was Enchanted Love. She said life is a spiral. And so if you don't get the lesson over here, you're going to receive the opportunity to learn it again over there. Now, it will be a different person, a different circumstance at a different time, but it will be the same lesson. And the same lesson will keep coming back to you until you are willing and open to learning it. And I find that is very true in life and especially in relationships. Do you find that? Absolutely do. And Marianne Williamson is such a goddess. And yes. what a, <laughs> I mean, the first book of hers you turned me on to with Enchanted Love, and there's a quote in there that says, all work is inner work. Mm-hmm. And I would tattoo that on everybody's head. If you're going to look for any kind of change, you have to look within first. If you don't have it going on, even if your partner changes and conforms to what you said you want, you're going to be in a crisis situation again in a very short period of time because you have unfinished business, unsettled stuff within you that your partner has no control over. Exactly. And so what do what do individuals do when they realize that, you know, the issue isn't necessarily the relationship, but it's their not doing their inner work. Well, as a coach, that is the clarity, that is the awareness. And you have to get people to decide how happy they really truly want to be. And then what level of effort are they willing to put in? What are they actually ready to give up? I mean, yes, you can say, well, I want my partner to be more understanding and available and so on. Well, if you're a three-headed ogre 95% of the time, the guy is hiding out in the bushes. Uh, he probably wants to get close to you and make love and be passionate, but he, he doesn't want to get his skin ripped off him. That's true. That's very, very true. But, you know, so many, so many of us play the blame game, though. We transfer our inability to do our own work onto the other person, typically the person closest to us, because we know for most, you know, 90% of the time they're not going anywhere, or at least not right now. So how do we get real with ourselves first about whether the issue is the relationship or whether the issue is really something we're not dealing with and we're just transferring our stuff over to them? You mentioned earlier about being peaceful. Peace has been the foundation of my journey for probably about 10 years. Every morning I get up, I do my centering, affirmation, prayer, I do some yoga practice, and I do some meditation. And what that does is that completely clears me. It brings my energy to such a beautiful, calm space. So then I'm able to discern what is actually going on. If something does pop up as a concern, I don't have this big swirling vortex of emotions and energies. I'm able to see it as exactly what it is, and I'm then able to determine the best option to deal with it. If you're angry, you're fearful, you're anxious, and you've got all these negatives, all of these chemicals running around in your brain, then chances are you're going to respond with massive force to something that just needed a gentle tweak. Mm -hmm. So turn the heat down first in order to be able to see more clearly what is going on and actually identify it as what it is. And is that something that you think needs to be a, a daily practice or a consistent practice, or is that something that in the heat of a moment, um, you know, someone can say, 
let's take a 10 minute break and let me go into a quiet space. My personal belief is it needs to be a consistent daily practice because if you do not know what that is like on a regular basis, how are you supposed to find it at a moment of chaos? Mm, that's very true. That's very, very true. But let me get, let me play devil's advocate because I can hear a lot of women entrepreneurs saying, I barely have time to take a shower between my business and my family and my kids and my this. How am I going to find time in my day, especially at the beginning of the day, to start with a centering practice? What do you say to that? Well, it doesn't have to be a two-hour process. It can be a few minutes. It can be 20 minutes. You can do it while you're taking that precious shower. It doesn't have to be yoga. It can be anything. It can be just a quiet cup of tea. You know, with some candles, it could be reading your favorite book or journaling or even, you know, just sitting in the dark, beating your head onto the windowsill. Yeah, it's any action that gives you a time out and releases you to be able to collect your thoughts. Now, if you have an hour in the morning, that's absolutely beautiful. But if you don't, then just take the pockets of time as and when you get them. I have a 90-minute commute in the morning, so if I don't get my yoga practice in, then I have time where I can send to my mind. I mean, I don't practice yoga when I'm driving, but I can do my affirmations or listen to calming music or talk to enlightened people like you. So there are opportunities throughout my day to reach out, to step out of the chaos, to simply breathe and to embrace. I keep artifacts around me in my office that remind me of peace, love, and joy, success. So I just look at them and I instantly get aligned again with what's important to me. There's always opportunities. Yes. And, and isn't a big part of it when you hear those kinds of objections really about the fear of being with oneself? Like the fear of being alone with your thoughts and yourself and having to be in the room with you. I think a lot of us, because we're so used to the noise and so used to, you know, constant busyness and constant just stuff around us, we've forgotten what it feels like to be in the presence of ourselves alone. Yes, that can be uh a very, very strange place when you do find yourself in that position. It's, uh, what the bleep do I do with myself right now? <laughs> exactly. you know, it's been so long. Oh, there you are sitting in this hot bubble bath with your candles, and then you're feeling guilty because you're not doing anything. Yeah. So, you know, you deserve this. Okay, You have to make you a priority as well, especially if you're in a serving capacity in a business or you have children. You cannot give from an empty cup. If you don't nourish yourself, nurture yourself, replenish yourself and your soul and your mind, how do you expect to be able to consistently give everybody out there your best? And I need um, all of these wonderful women who are listening to know I'm not just some guy talking from some whimsical place here. I've been a single parent with animals to take care of. And that's not my kids. I had two, <laughs> two boys, one who was a really rambunctious teenager who <laughs> I should have tied to a tree and left it out there most of the time. And I was working a full-time corporate job. I know what it is like to have all of these demands on your time and barely have time to take a two-minute shower, let alone a hot bath. So, no, it's not easy, but when you start focusing on what you can do and what the possibilities are, you're going to start to see more of them. Yes, and, and also knowing that you're worth making that time for yourself. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because I think that for a lot of women entrepreneurs, they are fighting to feel worthy and to feel good enough. But if you begin from a place of self-worth and you begin from a place of I'm worthy exactly as I am, you then create a day and a schedule and consistency in that schedule that reflects your self-worth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You have to be on your priority list. Yes. Yeah. I get up pretty early in the morning, so I'm very rigid about going to bed around 9.20 or 9.30 at night. I drive my partner bonkers at times. 
But, you know, that's part of my self-care routine. I'm not doing it to her or despite her. I'm doing it because that's part of my honoring my body and myself so I can give her my best the rest of the time. Exactly. You know, that reminds me when you talk about your sleep schedule. I was once when I lived in L.A., I um, was in a grocery store, Ralph's, and I was waiting at the seafood aisle and a woman was behind me basically jumping out of her pants. And I remember looking at her and I said, are you okay? And she said, oh, my goodness, I really have to pee, but I don't want to lose my place in line. And I just turned to her and I said, how often do you think men ever wait to pee? And she's like, they don't. I said, exactly. I said, go use the bathroom. I'll hold your spot. Everything will be fine. <laughs> right? So but part of that, it, to me, it was such a metaphor for what I see so many women do in terms of like, you have to go to the bathroom, but you're holding it because you've got to drop somebody off or you're waiting mm-hmm. to get salmon. When if we just simply said, we have all the time we need. I'm going to allow myself to go to the bathroom because I need to or take a shower or take an Epsom salt bath because mm-hmm. that's I'm worthy of that. And there's more than enough for everyone, including me. It would make life a lot better. Absolutely. And I got to say, some of my greatest heroes are single moms. You know, you, you got a woman with two, three, four children running the show by herself, trying to keep these kids corralled. Keep everything on the up and up, make sure they're taken care of emotionally, yes. mentally, physically, spiritually, and keep all her jelly beans in the bag. I mean, there should be a medal for that. Exactly. And I mean, and just balancing that. Now, one of the things that I, I see a lot that's happening is that we're getting more into the the realm where it's not just um, a single mother or a single father. We're now having more blended families. So a single mother and a single father, they get married, they both bring children to the table. When you think about the dynamics and how they change when there are both, like both sides, bringing a blended nature to the mix, in your opinion, does that change how each person approaches, you know, business and life and balancing things, or is it still the same thing? I have stepchildren, too. I I do refer them as my kids, but still being in the parenting space, there was a different dynamic with not being the blood parent of the child. I was allowed to discipline to a point, and then next thing you know, mom was on their side against me, like it became a territorial thing. So we really have to keep very clear boundaries on what is cool, who says what, etc. And if there is any discussion over something being inappropriate as far as the authority, do it offline. You do not do it in front of the children. You do not undermine each other because that's going to create such a power ripple. The children will pick up on it. They'll stop playing it, using it to their advantage. And before you know it, you're going to have even less time to do things for yourself because you're going to be solving disputes, ending wars, and putting fires out constantly. So... Nip it in the bud. Make sure you have open, clear communication as adults up front. And my first wife, she was more than happy to allow me to be the authority in the house while she didn't get involved. But then when I did, you know, tell Junior, take a time out, you know, no Nintendo for two hours or whatever, she bailed him out after an hour. Exactly. you know, she would constantly undermine me, and that really created huge authority problems. And but that was she had a lot of stuff. You know, she had some old wounds, a lot of guilt around her children, and that was something that she really needed to address. And at the time, I wasn't aware enough to give her that tab to pick up. I tried to play in it to fix it, make things better for everybody. And I actually helped her become a little bit sicker and me become a little bit more frustrated. And we ended up getting divorced because I couldn't carry that load anymore. Exactly. And so, you know, I've heard you say a number of times boundaries. How do you how did you create your own boundaries? I mean, is it something that you did? You know, you sat down one day and you created them. Do they evolve? How do you how do you work on your boundaries? I have a clear sense of what's right for me and what's acceptable for me. And 
I do try and hold that as a space. And some of them are soft. I mean, none of my boundaries constitute capital offenses if you violate them. <laughs> none of them are deal breakers. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But um, some things are very important to me, and they're not negotiable. You know, other things I have a little latitude on. Yeah, I might go pout for a little bit, but, you know, I'll bounce right back. But relationships have to have respect. If you don't have respect in a relationship, then that makes it kind of difficult to have any kind of meaningful boundaries at all. And, and it's a two-way street. Yeah, I can't expect you to one of my boundaries if I disrespect yours. That's right. So uh, my personal sense of truth and awareness of who I am or what's right for me and what's acceptable for me is the foundation of my boundaries. And they do evolve as I evolve uh, spiritually as I mature. Yes, I'm a man, and I said that. It does happen. <laughs> and uh, you know, your boundaries have to evolve as well. You know, I don't wear the same clothes that I did in high school. And so you know, the things that were acceptable to me five years ago may not be acceptable to me today. Absolutely. And so how have you communicated? Because I think boundaries are, are, are an interesting topic, especially among women entrepreneurs. It's one thing to have boundaries. It's another thing to really be to understand what your boundaries are and where they sort of blend or not blend or where they're deal breakers. But it's a very different thing to communicate them to other people. <laughs> so, so talk to me a little bit about because I find a lot of women tell me that they have fear around letting people know. For example, like you talk about going to bed at a certain time. They have fear on communicating that they want to go to bed earlier so they can wake up earlier. They have fear on communicating when they're working on their business, they want it to be just about the business. Or, And men too. Men have lots of fear around communicating their boundaries, you know, when it comes to intimacy and sex. And so what would you say to those who they hear what you're saying about boundaries, they know that they need to really consciously implement their boundaries, but they're afraid to communicate them. Hmm. I would have to explore why you feel afraid to communicate something so important to the person who is supposed to be the closest to you on this life journey currently. I mean, that's not real intimacy. Is there a basis for it? Are you feeling like, you know, the Oliver Twist where you want more of the suit? <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you turn the orphanage up in a ruckus by asking for more. Yeah. So what is your basis for it? I mean, it's a legitimate request. You know, if my girlfriend says to me, hey, baby, I need you to take care of the chores tonight while I go to my art class before my head pops off. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Or if she says, yeah, I need you to leave me alone, let me have them quiet, I can respect that. You know, I don't engage her in an argument of, you know, why, what's up, you know, what I do. You know, that's instantly disrespecting the boundaries she just asked me for, right? Exactly. So, you know, start small if you're concerned about it. You know, guys are willing to help. We're willing to support. You know, we like have that knight in shining armor syndrome. Yeah, we're not going to roll over and uh, accommodate every single thing, but guys want to see their women happy. Trust me, it, it, I have a very vested interest in having a happy woman in my house. Okay? So, I, was, so, yeah. I always tell men, happy wife equals a happy life. I'm just saying. Yeah. Happy wife, happy life. Um, but, you know, yes. but, but here's where I think it's really important that we – we dive into this deeper because I was listening to a podcast this morning where Keith Ferrazzi, who wrote Never Eat Alone, he was being interviewed. And he said that in one study, they found that 60% of, the, of those who identified as being married felt that nobody in their lives had their back. Now, think about that. 60% of the people who are married, so they have a life partner, felt alone in their lives. Nobody had their back. So there is something that even though we co-create these relationships, there is a lot of not being intimate going on, even though the relationship exists. What do we do about that? I think that kind of ties back to what you talked about earlier about the, the competing and both mm -hmm. people trying to be successful. 
to an extent, I think we kind of create that for ourselves because we try and be so independent. We give people a clear signal. We don't need you. Yeah, I don't need you to do the basic things for me. I'm just fine without you. Thank you very much. Yes, you're so disposable. You got it. So, mm-hmm. you know, so your partner gets a message, and you know they go about doing their own thing and living their own life, and you know they're not checking in with you regularly if you need anything. So now you become aware of that. You think, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, where is he? What? Why is he doing that? Well, he's doing that because you told him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm strong. I'm powerful. I'm capable, and yeah, I don't need you. Exactly. And there's something really powerful about being able to be a woman who can say to a man, "I need you." Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, again, yeah, and not enough women do it. <laughs> well. Yeah, needing somebody is not a sign of weakness. It, yeah. you know, there's a big difference between being dependent and having to have somebody do your basic things and needing somebody to share this space and this journey and your, you know, your fears and passion with. So, you know, keep it in perspective. Yeah, it, a relationship is not a competition. And I said that a little bit earlier. And if you feel like you're both struggling to be number one, then you're both striving to be strong. And that doesn't create that opportunity to be soft, to allow somebody close so you can need each other. Absolutely. Oh, that, that's, that's absolutely true. What did Marianne Williamson say? A partner is someone that you desire, not someone that you require. But, yeah. but desire involves need. And so I think we, we take the, I don't require you to an extreme. And then that person feels, you know, like some accessory on, on your car. They don't feel like they're a witness to your life experience. <laughs> well, it does get a little bit interesting. Like, yeah, if you're working full time and you're providing an income and medical benefits to support a family, and that job takes some extra hours and it takes you away from home a little more than you like. It doesn't mean that your job is more important than your family. It means that your family is important enough to you that you will endure doing such a job to make sure they're provided for. Yes. Mm. And, you know, that's a very powerful statement because I think there are many, both men and women, who feel a lot of guilt about having to do that to provide for their families when really they should honor themselves for being willing to do what it takes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My father was in the the Royal Air Force when I was growing up. He had to go off to combat zone by himself for three, four, five months or a year at a time. And my mom was home with four children. And do you think that man would rather be in a place where he could get shot at or home with his wife and kids? Exactly. Home. But yeah, but he was doing what he needed to do to be able to provide. Absolutely. And so understanding it in that way really changes how you feel about yourself in that situation. Exactly. And uh, something I'd just like to share real quick was when I was over here, I called back one day and I was talking to my father and um, I just felt the urge to apologize. You know, I was a bit of an unruly teen and I was a little bit self-centered and yeah, I did a few things that I wasn't proud of. And yeah, I, I just talked to my dad and I said, I got to say to you, yeah, I want to say thank you for everything that you and mom did and put up with when I was growing up. And I don't really think I said that to you. And my dad said, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, you don't have to do that. But he said, I wish I could have been there more for you kids. And my dad was a great father. You know, in addition to having to be on call 24-7 for the military, we always went off to the parks or the beaches on the weekend. We always had cooked meals at home together. We never wanted for anything. So I asked him, said, Dad, did you ever do anything you didn't feel was right at the time? He goes, well, no, that would be rather stupid. (laughs) What do you possibly have to feel bad about? Exactly. That's powerful. Yeah. And it's important because I think that a lot of, especially women, they don't give themselves enough credit for the choices that they're making on behalf of their families, especially if they're single moms. So to hear that story really 
I hope that that opens up in women that place of saying, I'm doing the right thing. When you know you're doing the right thing and the best you can at each moment, after a certain period of time, you have no guilt, you have no regrets, and you have peace in your life. I mean, yes, you can look back to last week and think, boy, I could do that better. Of course you can. You're smarter, wiser, more evolved. Yeah, that's hindsight. But at the moment, you did the best you could with what you had on hand. You did what you felt was right. There is no higher calling. Exactly. And and to me, you're an expert at being able to be present with that truth and allowing things to evolve. So if there's a, you know, a woman entrepreneur listening to this and she's just saying to herself, I want to get to where Mark is. Like, I want to learn how to live in that space. How does she get in contact with you? Well, my email address is coach at SuccessfulTogetherCoaching.com. I have a group on Facebook called Her Unfolding Journey. It's a closed group where anything you post is solely within the group. Or my cell phone is 317-979-6002. Perfect. And what I'll do is I'll put that in the show notes as well. So if you're interested in contacting Mark about coaching and really getting into your journey and being present with it and for it, I will put that information on the website and I will also put it in the show notes so that you can reach out to him. Mark, here's my final question. And it's, it's my favorite question. When you're sitting, and I call this the rocking chair test. So when you're 85, 90 years old and you're sitting on the beach or in Manhattan, or wherever you want to be, Fiji, and you're just looking out on the ocean and you're thinking about your life, at 85 or 90, what do you want to be able to say that you were able to accomplish over the course of a lifetime? That I made a difference in at least one person's life. Mm. Beautiful. And you have, because you made a difference in my life. So thank you for just holding the space of um, allowing things to unfold and trusting the process, because I learned a lot from your ability to do that. And not everybody has the ability to evolve in the way that you do. So that is a gift to me. Thank you, Consadra. You're a bright light in my journey, and I look forward to walking alongside you as long as we can. Yes. Wonderful. Well, everyone, I will put all of the information in the show notes. Mark Semple, definitely look up his closed group. It's called Her Unfolding Journey. Now, Mark, how do they get into the group? Yeah, you request to join and then I will accept you and welcome you. Perfect. So Her Unfolding Journey on Facebook and I will put all of the other contact information. Again, if you are a woman entrepreneur and you are struggling with some of those issues related to intimacy and connection and really creating rituals and boundaries that support your evolution, both in life and business. Contact Mark. He's amazing. Mark, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Cassandra. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm.